Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, that it, with the weekly WWE edition of your favorite wrestling podcast. That's right, we are just a couple days removed from the horror show at WWE Extreme Rules. Well, a lot of people didn't like it, and a lot of people thought it was a horror show for entirely different reasons. But we already talked all about that on our Instant Analysis podcast that came out less than an hour after WWE Extreme Rules went off the air. So if you have not listened to that yet, and I know most of you have, very impressed to see the numbers that have come. It's basically a full show listenership in 24 hours. Uh, If you haven't listened to it yet, though, and you want a little context for what we're going to talk about today, hit pause on this episode, go back, listen to our instant analysis of Extreme Rules. But if you are all caught up, then we are going to talk about everything else that went down in WWE over the last few days. Some of the stuff that happened on SmackDown that did not impact Extreme Rules and all of the fallout from Extreme Rules on Raw Monday night. And trust me, there was plenty of it. But this is a loaded episode We also have a special feature today, and that feature is a special guest in NXT superstar Karrion Cross joining the Getting Over podcast for the first time. That will be at the end of the show after we talk all things WWE. Once again, you can check our episode descriptions for timestamps of segments, interviews, and everything in between. But joining me today to break down everything in WWE, of course, once again, is Chris Vanini. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Vanini. Chris, quick turnaround for this show. Somehow still plenty for us to talk about, but I got to tell you my obsession recently, it's not wrestling, it's not movies or beer, all the things we talk about. It's home automation. I have been putting smart switches and lights and all this stuff in my house. I'm stuck home. I'm going out of my mind. I'm trying to do as much as I can. Um, I got to recommend to our listeners, if you own a home, I highly, highly recommend making it smart, voice commands for your lights and some of your you know, devices, toasters and coffee machines and so on and so forth. It is really taking my house to the next level, I got to say. Man, I've always been kind of weary of that kind of stuff. You know, I've got a Google Home mini home speaker, but I right. turned the mic off on that. And uh, yeah, I mean, I know so my wait, phone. What do, you, what do you use it for if the mic's off? I just use it to play music. Gotcha. Okay. Just over Bluetooth. And, and so... Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not one. I mean, I know my phone's listening to me at all times, giving giving me, you know, ads that correspond to what I'm talking about. But uh, I'm not in. I'm not fully on the smart home uh, yet. I'm I'm still a manual guy. Well, this is what I'll say. Even if you don't want to use the voice activation, you can still get all the smart devices and just use them from your phone. You literally hit the buttons. So rather than having to dim your lights if you're on the couch or turn off your fan or whatever the case. You just take your phone, you do it, and you don't have to move. So it's extreme laziness. Um, but look, for someone who is <laughs> who is marginally talented, and when I say talented, that's not that's even ex- an exaggeration in terms of home improvement. Being able to like change a couple wires and switch out some switches, uh, I- I'm pretty happy with myself. I got to say the other the other controversial. Well, that's not really a controversial topic. This might be. I mentioned it on Twitter. I I've been in my boredom. Uh, I've been ordering some things off of Amazon that I have not eaten previously, little snacks, right? And I actually got into a conversation with Renee Young about some Canadian dessert snack foods. Those haven't arrived yet. But I did get, for the first time, and I'm wondering with you being 
a guy who's from Michigan and where do you live now? Texas. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm, I'm in Dallas. Yeah, Michigan and Texas. I'm wondering if our uh, paths uh, growing up cross on this. I was a Twizzlers guy my entire life. That's the type. That's the brand that really they sold primarily down here. Uh, I never really saw Red Vines before. I decided to order Red Vines off Amazon. And I got to say, dude, they don't come anywhere close to the quality that Twizzlers present. Uh, okay, good. I thought you were going to be a Red Vines guy there. They're just not good. They're there. No, I was not going to have it. They, tape, they taste. I mean, look, it's all crap, both of them, right? But it tastes somehow cheaper and more oh, plasticky, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. Like there, there's no there's no flavor to the Red Vines. Right. It's, exactly. It's the plastic without the flavor. The Twizzlers is the plastic with the flavor. Like it at least Twizzlers at least hit you with strawberry. Like, you know, that's what they're trying to get you. Red Vines are kind of just like here, chew on this. And it's just not. Red, red Vines do work better as a straw. It's bigger you know, hole when yeah. you're a kid. But uh, outside of that, not a fan. Yeah, not a fan at all. I'm definitely a Twizzlers man, but we're not here to talk snack foods or home improvement. We're here to talk professional wrestling, and we're going to jump into that, as always, with the main event. It's, it's and considering we are coming off a of pay-per-view, there's not really a singular topic that deserves focus on the main event today. We've gone women's wrestling, or we've talked Drew McIntyre or whatever else in the, in the past. But right now, I kind of just want to look out, look at the fallout from the horror show at Extreme Rules because, look, uh, I think you and I were both relatively positive about it. I, we certainly criticized plenty from the show. I ultimately gave it a C plus. You gave it a B minus. Looking back on it, I actually think I may have been too nice. Maybe I should have given it a C. But in the moment, I did appreciate the action that we got on the show. Regardless, uh, there were a lot of people that were displeased. Uh, it was one of the lowest rated pay-per-views that WWE's put on definitely since the start of this podcast in terms of how people voted in our uh, post-pay-per-view polls. And I think that was pretty standard across the board. I checked Reddit. I looked at some other Twitter accounts. People really didn't like the booking in particular of this pay-per-view. And that reportedly led Vince McMahon and WWE to make some major, major changes to the Raw tapings on Monday. Now, we don't know what was initially scheduled for those shows, right? All we know is what they actually gave us on television. And I have to say, coming out of Raw Monday, I didn't necessarily feel better about the two bookings that irked me the most, which were the Raw Women's Championship and the Eye for an Eye match. I kind of just felt that they said, well, yeah, that's what we did. And Eye for an Eye, we're not really going to rectify it in any way. Although I actually liked that match. Um, for the Raw Women's Championship, we're almost going to make it more confusing. So we'll get to all of that in a moment. Let's start with the WWE champion, though, Drew McIntyre, who late in the show, hour three, came out looking for his next challenger, whoever is going to be going up against the WWE champion at SummerSlam. And I think you and I both have the same expectation, Chris, that it's ultimately going to be Randy Orton. And because of that, you couldn't just not have McIntyre on the show. And Orton had a match against Big Show in the main event, the uns unsanctioned match. We'll talk about that in a moment. So you couldn't really have Orton challenge for the title right away. So you had McIntyre come out. I thought it was a successful segment to kind of build some excitement for next week's show. Obviously, WWE is trying to boost the ratings on Raw. But as with the women's situation that we'll talk about in a little bit, there wasn't really that much clarity provided in the actual moment. So McIntyre's there seeking a challenger. 
um, and who comes out but Dolph Ziggler. So we know they're not going to give us McIntyre Ziggler in a rematch at SummerSlam, but Ziggler comes out, begs, McIntyre eventually accepts a rematch with the exception that he gets to choose the stipulation, and he says he'll do so before the match. The problem was in the moment, they didn't clarify when the match was going to be. So yeah. at first I'm thinking, wait, are they really doing this for SummerSlam? Then I thought, okay, well, McIntyre said, actually, I wouldn't tell you the stipulation by two weeks. So I'm like, oh, okay, they're booking it for two weeks out on Raw as a means of promoting a WWE Championship match on Raw. That makes sense. And then out of nowhere in the main event, they announce that it's all going to happen next week. So now next week, there's two big title matches, this being the first of them. I just kind of wanted to see where you landed on WWE almost kind of doing again for a second time with Dolph Ziggler, hot shot booking and giving him another championship match. So other than not understanding when the match was, I, I like the segment. It, it, it just Drew came off as it, it made perfect sense. Why would he not accept a challenge from Dolph Ziggler? He just beat Dolph when Dolph had all the advantage in, in his corner. He's clearly confident as all hell and knows that he could whip Ziggler's ass. And and so why not do it? Give himself the own stipulation. He's a guy who wants to fight. He's always looking to fight. Here's a guy he knows he can beat and beat up. It, it makes sense. And every week, Drew is the aggressive, confident, ass-kicking face. And this just continues to build into it. You know, I, I, I would love to have him have higher profile stuff. We keep talking about how we wish he had a crowd behind him. But every week, Drew is just solid, just really good. Everything makes sense. He's a guy who comes off as incredibly cool, a guy I get excited when I see him on my screen. And yeah, this is this will be another one-off. I'm curious what the stipulation will be. It has me kind of interested in that. But uh, yeah, Drew just comes in, knocks you know knocks out Ziggler, says he'll accept it, and Ziggler looks like a chump basically. And I, I'm 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 also kind of half wondering what happens if, Zol- if Ziggler gets his ass kicked again. Where does he go from there as a character? But as it relates to Drew, I liked it. Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting because I what I liked about this segment in particular was McIntyre. The way he responded to uh, Dolph Ziggler's initial challenge. He's he rolling his eyes. He called him a, a certain uh, English, British, Scottish type of uh, insult. I forgot what it was in, in the moment. I can't think of it right now. But he um, he just dismissed him completely and laughed mm-hmm. almost that Ziggler would have the gall to come out after really not even deserving the first match, but okay, he got it. And yeah, they did fight hard and it was a damn good match. So all of that was truth. Dolph did test Drew McIntyre more than any challenger, including Brock Lesnar and including Bobby Lashley to this point, right? So, and including Big Show, obviously, and anyone else that he's defended the title against, including the uh, champions versus challengers match with uh, R-Truth or whatever the hell that was. I, so, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say Lashley, but your point still stands. I thought Lashley- it was They sold it at the end of that match yeah. that Drew barely escaped and they yeah. didn't sell it that way with Lashley. Lashley- he beat him. He stood up. He was flexing. This one, he rolled off Ziggler and was like hurting. And you could kind of yeah. see like he thought, wow, he almost got me on that. You mm-hmm. know, so so I guess they continue that storyline is my point. But I like how Drew dismissed him. And he's just like, no, you don't deserve it. This is ridiculous. And he walks off because normally what a face would do in that circumstance, any face, Rollins, Roman Reigns, really anyone in WWE, they just don't really have the creativity in the moment, a lot of them, to kind of say, to do what, what Drew just did, they kind of more play it off as, oh, you don't deserve it, but whatever. If it'll shut you up, I'll do it. 
Yeah. That's usually the resolution. Yep. In this case, it took Dolph literally begging Drew for the opportunity and Drew kind of turning it around and being the smart baby face, which a lot of champions in WWE are not and saying, you know what? I'll give you the match, but I'm going to do to you what you did to me. I'm not only am I going to pick the stipulation, I'm going to announce it right before the bell rings. My concern here, and it's really a concern in terms of storyline, is what the hell is the stipulation going to be? I mean, if you're if you're Drew, you probably come out with title versus career, right? You're like, straight up, man, uh, if this is the case, you, you got to put your career on the line because you want this guy gone. He's a gnat. He's a pest. But I don't necessarily want to see Dolph Ziggler leave WWE. So I don't know. Maybe it'll be a Cody-like stipulation where um, once he loses, he won't be able to challenge for the WWE title again. Obviously, that still leaves the Universal and the mid-card titles for Ziggler to challenge for. Maybe he just won't be able to challenge again while McIntyre is the champion. I don't know, but Ziggler's uh, stipulation was extreme. I mean, it was to the point where the odds were really, really stacked against McIntyre. I'm very curious to see what McIntyre ends up doing to try to stack the odds against Ziggler or make him pay for even requesting the match in the first place. Yeah, like normally that's not a face thing to do. Right. To, to have all the advantage and get a and get a you know, a stipulation in your favor. But the way Drew carries himself, the way his character is, it works. I'm hoping he picks, you know, Lucha House Party rules and makes it a handicap match. (laughs) Well, we can talk about the other half of this, which is Randy Orton, right? Because Randy Orton defeated Big Show in the unsanctioned match, which to me was honestly pretty worthless and ultimately a good decision to take it off Extreme Rules because that would have been really disappointing and would have further added to the disappointment on that pay-per-view card. This was just as good as the previous Randy Orton Big Show match, which is to say, for me, it wasn't good at all. It still got the job done. It accomplished its goal with Orton hitting two RKOs on show, the first not putting him down, and then punting show's head off after the match. So, okay, now Randy has killed another legend. That was the entire point. But show, you know, back when Randy was the original legend killer, those guys were still active performers, right? And it still made a lot of sense. These guys are now his contemporaries. So killing off Edge, killing off Christian, now killing off Big Show, it doesn't really do the same to the character that it did when in the previous incarnation of it. Nevertheless, like I said, got the job done. I don't see any possible way, Chris, that Randy Orton is not the challenger for McIntyre at SummerSlam at this point. Yeah, I, I know we thought it would be Bobby Lashley, hoped it would be. They had a great match um, whenever that pay-per-view was. Uh, but yeah, you're kind of right. I... I it's got to be. Where else is Randy Orton going now unless there's a new legend that's going to show up that we don't know about? Um, I'm kind of just waiting at this point for Randy to, I guess, make that challenge. Maybe it'll happen after the McIntyre-Ziggler match, RKO or something like that. I don't know. But as for that Orton show match, I like the, the, the promo they did for it. They kind of went back through Big Show's whole career. They explained to you why he's a giant, mm-hmm. got you invested in him before this match. The match was whatever. You were kind of just waiting for Orton to, Orton to do the punt, and they eventually get to that. And it, yeah, it got the job done, and it was it was fine. I, the, I didn't the, expect anything big out of it. The Big Show promo was good. The Christian yes. the Christian segment and the Randy Orton segment, both to me, you could have thrown away. I know why they did it. They were promoting the main event, and I criticized WWE for not promoting its main events on shows. So I, they did a good job in that regard. Um, but they also never really said, like, this is the main event of the evening. Like you should tell people, Hey, you need to stay until, you know, 10 40. Uh, so you can make sure that you see this match. 
But like I said, it accomplished the job. The only other person who I think could potentially challenge for the title would be Seth Rollins. After all, he, after losing for many months on end, he got his win back and he got another win, a pretty big win actually, which we'll talk about later, Monday night. So that does set him up potentially to challenge again, but he was also his first challenger, McIntyre, despite the fact that that Rollins lost to Kevin Owens at WrestleMania. So, you know, I just don't see it. I think Randy Orton's going to be in that match. And look, you and I have talked about it, and I'm sure we will talk about it over the three weeks to come here, four weeks to come. This is probably a spot where you change the title and you put it on Randy Orton. I, we'll talk about it once we get there, obviously. I, I don't want them to. I mean, I love Drew as the champ and maybe Randy Orton as a heel. It's kind of the point, I guess. But uh, I, I, you know, I want Drew as champ with a crowd at some point and, and maybe we'll get back there. But uh, I think I think Drew's been killing it. I understand. I'm a fan of title changes kind of on the regular. It keeps things fresh, but uh, we'll see. Well, you look, I, you know, what is it? April, May, June, July, August. It, it would only be a four month title reign. That would be pretty disappointing. I think you kind of want for McIntyre six months or longer. But once you start getting into the September, October, November months, you're talking about the mid-major pay-per-views, and then Survivor Series, which, you know, historically, at least recently, has been brand versus brand. So now you're in a lose-lose situation where if you don't change the title after four months, you may not be able to change it until eight, nine months, unless you want to do yeah. a change at a mid-major pay-per-view. Well, so, and, and, yeah, I mean, I'm fine with, I, I'm fine with a, a title that, a world title that changes two times over the course of a feud, give it to someone and give it back. Like, right. you know, that, right. that's how it was. I, you know, I grew up with the Attitude Era, and there were title changes on the regular. And I, I, I like that. It, and I, I would be okay with it. I just, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm sad that Drew hasn't gotten to fully, you know, glow in this, in this championship run he has, cause he doesn't have a crowd. Well, I, I don't, yeah. I mean, I don't like when titles change hands, like what they do with Sasha Banks. She gets the title for eight days. And no, changes that's, hands. that's, yeah, that's, or, too- or even when it's a month, you know, someone wins it at a pay-per-view, they lose it at the next, or they lose it on raw three weeks later that I don't like, but four months, it's fine, especially if you make a change back. Like, there's two options. You change it to Orton, right? Orton carries it until next year's WrestleMania, fights Edge for the title. Edge wins the title. It's a huge moment. You can definitely do that. The other option is you have Orton beat McIntyre. He's on top of the world for two months. You have McIntyre win it back. Maybe you have Orton win the title so that he can go into Survivor Series, let's say, and face The Fiend and lose to The Fiend and not be hurt. And then as soon as Survivor Series is over, you change it back to Drew McIntyre. That's another option. That way, you know, Orton Edge doesn't necessarily need a title for the blow off of their feud. And then then all of a sudden you have McIntyre back as champion. He overcame the only obstacle that he's faced to this point. So I do think there's some interesting booking they can do. Orton still at the top of his game did a really good job on Monday night. McIntyre, Sunday and Monday, great. So still very pleased with that main title picture on Raw as of right now. But let's move on to the other main title on Raw. That's the Women's Championship. Obviously coming out of Extreme Rules, shrouded in controversy considering the finish that you and I both agreed was disastrous, especially considering all the other ways they could have accomplished the same goal without doing it in that particular manner. On Monday night, I thought the promo from Bailey and Sasha Banks was actually the worst that they've done in quite some time. They've been so money. They've nailed every single time they've been on the mic. This one for me didn't work. It was repetitive. It just kept going over what happened last night without kind of mentioning it. It bothered me. Then I, I will say on on that part, it was 
I don't know how you were going to talk your way out of that to begin with. Exactly. It was kind of they were backed into a corner and there was, oh, Bailey was helping the referee. Like there was no way to explain it. So it, it would have been hard, I think, to turn that around anyway. No, it would have been. And but they could have just done something shorter, had Oscar inter- interrupt quicker, get to Stephanie McMahon faster. But even Steph didn't do a good job. And that's what I was about to say. I did love Oscar's reaction to it. Her coming out, kind of just screaming, saying, hey, you know, uh, Banks wasn't ready for Oscar, but Oscar wasn't ready for a cheater, right? That's cool. That's a nice turn on her line. Oscar has done a good op- good job when they've given her an opportunity to speak in English in addition to her Japanese rants. But then you have Stephanie McMahon jump on the screen. And my reaction is twofold. One, it's, of course, it's Stephanie McMahon on the screen. Because if it's the women's division, no one else can weigh in except for Stephanie McMahon, right? Um, but she comes on the screen and I thought she did a decent job in some respects and a terrible job in other respects. The decent part is, look, I know that it's tongue in cheek and WWE often will criticize themselves, making it seem like they get what the crowd is saying and they get that it's cool. So Stephanie coming out and saying, well, that was a horror show last night. It was tongue in cheek, but I at least appreciated it that they recognized that it was bad and it was not well received. Okay, even if Steph saying it doesn't ring as true as true to me as Vince McMahon maybe coming out and being like, all right, well, that sucked last night. Let's fix this, you know, but that's what they tried to do. They admitted they they screwed up and and they're now trying to fix it. But what Stephanie said, Chris, was that Sasha didn't win the title at Extreme Rules, but also nobody won the match. So then she makes a title match next week on Raw with the stipulation that the title can change hands via pinfall submission, disqualification, countout, or interference. This was both good and bad. On one hand, it was the right booking to get what I expect should be a big-time main event next week on Raw. And if it doesn't main event, by the way, something criminal is happening. This match needs to main event over McIntyre and Ziggler. That's what I was going to say. I mean, I I guess, you know, that would be the other option. It's a better match. I mean, either either one would work, but... I don't, I don't know. You have to put this per, per, personally. I personally, that's why I thought Ziggler McIntyre would have worked in two weeks, because if you have a WWE title match and it's not the main event of your show, that just it just it doesn't reflect well upon the title. They just they really need to save the ratings. That's what it's. it's gone I, down I get about, it. No, I it's get gone it. down about one hundred thousand per week for the last four weeks. And I mean, I, at some point there's a bottom, but I don't know. There's a rock bottom, but I don't know where it is. So no, I get it. I'm just also yeah. saying I don't know if McIntyre Ziggler is going to be something that boosts. No, I, I agree. I think it's a, it's a panic move. But so that was the positive that they're booking the match and we're going to have another match and good. On the other hand, the stipulation is confusing because Stephanie did not vacate the title, yet they are going along with rules as if the title is vacated. Usually when there's a vacated title and two people are competing – Whoever wins the match by whatever means they win the match is the champion. But Asuka, in this case, is the rightful champion. And she's not being treated as such. She's not getting the champion's advantage. Given the stipulation, I'm wondering if this is a situation where they are going for an interference finish and maybe actually change the title. It's very strange to me. If you were Stephanie McMahon in kayfabe and you're coming out and, and putting a stipulation on this match, you say, hey, look, Asuka's the champion. She's, the title did not change hands. She still has all of the champion's rights. But Sasha, if you want to win the title, the only way you can do so is via pinfall or a submission. And if there is an interference at all from Bailey, it's a disqualification and you lose. That is the, that's the stipulation for the match. 
I have no idea why they're treating Asuka as if there's any question as to whether she's the champion when the result of that match is a no contest. And in a no contest, the champion retains the title. Yeah, I would have, I don't know, in order to do the stipulation or whatever that they gave you, the title should be probably vacated then that there is, there is or no chance or yeah. Yeah. Ones. Like, yeah. So that's, that's how you would explain away the champion's advantage and stuff like that. So I actually, I do like that, that it's nobody can interfere. We've had a lot of Bailey and Kyrie involved all the time and makes sense to just even that all out. Uh, but it is a little weird there with Sasha, but you know, we said, we said uh, Sunday night, where is the you know authority figure to make a determination on this? And we got it. So I guess I got to say kudos for that. That's what that's what it needed. Um, and what it, yeah. need, what, it, what it needed to do was not happen at all. That's what it needed. Right, right, right. I'm saying if you were <laughs> going to do something like that, this was the only way you could explain it away. And so at least they did that. Um, and yeah, this should I do think. Well, I, I, I think it is the most interesting thing to main event next Monday. But again, I also feel like the WWE title just should main event if it's a title match on Raw, but it is what it is. Possibly, but I have no real concern with the women. The women's title is treated just as important as the men's titles now. Yeah. Thank, thank God. And this match is better. I mean, straight no, up. It is, absolutely. It is. What we saw on Sunday night, I got to say, the finish sucked. I'll repeat myself. I said it like 18 times on the instant analysis. The finish sucked. That batch was incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oscar and Sasha Banks is incredible. So I want that again. Give me the 25-minute main event. That's what the Silver King wants. Uh, given the stipulation, though, I am wondering if this is the situation where Bailey accidentally costs Sasha the title by interfering, maybe starting the eventual split that culminates in these weeks leading up to SummerSlam. It would actually feel maybe a bit rushed unless it happened immediately next Monday night. If, you know, Bailey accidentally costs her the title, they free, you know, Sasha looks at her, freaks out, punches her, and then Friday night on SmackDown, they pay it off with Sasha turning face and actually, you know, getting what she deserves and going after the SmackDown Women's Championship. I don't know if they're going to pull that trigger or maybe they are now resigned to letting this blow up at WrestleMania 37, but Bailey accidentally costing Sasha a title in a situation like this, thinking that she's just trying to help, that does make sense as a storyline for me. I would normally say don't pull the trigger yet, but given, you know, what they've been trying to do with the ratings, maybe they do do that now. It certainly is a possibility. Now, there was one other part to this on Monday night where we had Bailey going up against Kyrie Sane in a non-title match. By the way, just a little bit weird that a single SmackDown competitor was fighting on Raw. <laughs> I know they're the women's tag team champions. I was going to say, I was going to okay. say. But but she still is, in this match, she was going as a single. She was not wrestling as a tag team. Nevertheless. If, if the title had been on the line, on Raw, I, I would have... I it would have been worse. Yes, I agree. Okay. Nevertheless, this was, and I'm going to say this many times about Raw on Monday night, an absolute banger of a match, as most of them were. We got the false finish with Kyrie Sane hitting the insane elbow, but Bailey getting her foot on the rope. Then it looked clear that Bailey would ultimately be going over because, hey, it's predictable, right? Sometimes predictable things are good. But no, that's not what happened. Kyrie Singh comes in, gets the roll up out of nowhere for the total shocker, beats the SmackDown Women's Champion. Now, there is some interesting stuff and you know that, that falls out of this. And I'll do a spoiler alert here. This is not a spoiler alert in terms of 
WWE booking, but it's really the status of someone within the company. And that person is Kyrie Sane. So I'll hit the siren if you really don't want any type of spoiler or inside information, then let's go ahead and you can skip about a minute. Um, but if not, just keep on listening. But here's that siren. So reportedly, Kyrie Sane, and we've kind of mentioned it on the podcast before, is wrapping up her time with WWE to the point that Dave Meltzer actually came out and reported, and I believe Mike Johnson of PW Insider did as well, that Monday was Kyrie Sane's last appearance in WWE, uh, that she's going to be moving back to Japan. She got married last year, and apparently she's still going to be part of the WWE family in some way, maybe doing outreach in Japan and stuff but is not going to be an active competitor on the WWE roster. If that's accurate, then that makes this very interesting because on one hand, Kyrie Sane's last appearance in a WWE ring may have been a win over the SmackDown Women's Champion. On the other hand, what we may be getting is, because this is all taped in a two-day period, obviously they tape, I think, Raw for two weeks on Monday, SmackDown for two weeks on Tuesday, what we may actually end up getting is another final goodbye Kyrie Sane match, whether that's on SmackDown for the women's title or maybe next week on Raw for the women's title. And and obviously at that point, Bailey would win and that would be Kyrie Sane's farewell. So if that was her farewell, farewell match, I will say kudos to them for pulling a swerve that we never see, which is someone winning on their way out as, a, as opposed to someone going out on their back. Also giving Kyrie Sane a moment in the sun where Due to injuries, due to booking, poor booking really on WWE's part, despite her having a really good run during her time in WWE, I don't feel like she reached that star level potential that she absolutely could have. She could have been the women's version maybe of a Rey Mysterio, and they didn't give her any opportunity to get booked that way on the main roster. But on the other hand, if that is her last match, I'm pretty disappointed because she has beat the SmackDown Women's Champion, and in WWE rules, I mean, that means you get a title match, right? So... I don't know what they're going to do. All I know is I did love that segment. Yeah, and WWE actually posted a photo of Kyrie on their Instagram page. They may have tweeted it, I don't know. But it was uh, Kyrie was, I guess, overcome with emotion, kind of wiping away a tear. And that would actually make sense. It, it would fit with, with what you were explaining there. But yeah, great match. And, you know, I normally, you know, oh, someone pinned a women's champion is a thing they always go back to time and time again. But I love just a straight-up clean roll-up finish, not a distraction roll-up a great counter uh, roll-up. Great match, great finish. Who knows what the future is for for Kyrie, but uh, really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, wish wish her WWE run got uh, a a bit more, but that series with with, with Shayna Baszler and NXT was was one of the best, I think, uh, feuds in NXT uh, during its run. Yeah, her NXT run was great, no question. I mean, she could have been champion for a little longer. They did change the title back a bit too quick to go back to Baszler, uh, but they called Kyrie up. So that's why they did it um, on, on the main roster though, due to injury again and, and some other things, it's just a really big missed opportunity with one of the best women's wrestlers in the world. Again, I do think she could have had a Rey Mysterio like run that would have gotten the fans 1000% behind her. Cause she is truly lovable and likable on screen. She seems like the nicest person and a sweet character. Uh, so you buy into it. And even honestly, when she was working as a heel, in the Kabuki Warriors with Asuka, it worked too. Like it, it just, she was really that good that she could make anything work. But we'll see what the fallout of that is. Maybe Friday, maybe next week. Maybe that's the last time we see Kyrie Sane. We will find out. Uh, but there was a lot more that happened uh, Monday night, including fallout from 
eye for an eye, and I did not get to play this sound drop earlier. But during the Drew McIntyre and Dolph Ziggler segment, I have to give my love, my kudos, whatever is inside of me of affection to a WWE Performance Center crowd member. People are saying it was Rick Boogs. If it was, it makes total sense. I don't know. Everyone's wearing masks, so how can you exactly know who it was? But Dolph Ziggler basically says to Drew McIntyre, hey, you can choose the stipulation for our match. And there's a silence that Drew gives while he's pondering whether to accept the match, whether to what stipulation to make, etc. And this gem of a sound drop, it'll probably be the only time I use it because it won't make sense in most cases. But this gem of a moment happened on WWE Raw Monday night. And by the way, the show was taped and they didn't cut it out. So good for them on that. You name the stipulation, I don't care. You have a match with me. No, don't do I mean, that's just that's just genius. It's genius to do that. That's hysterical. That's what would have happened at a Raw with a crowd. Someone in the front row would have screamed that out. Uh, it made me feel like the crowd was actually there. Maybe the most in any possible way for the first time in this era. Great stuff. And yeah. uh, I, I don't expect that to be the stipulation, but ooh, It'd man, be great. imagine if it was. Imagine if we were just having eye for eye matches left and right. If they doubled down on that, that would be really funny. But okay, eye for an eye, uh, Fallout. So other than spending a bit too long on the technicalities, I did think Seth Rollins did a good job kind of following it up and turning everything around on WWE fans, reminding them that they are the original sin that made him into the Monday Night Messiah, made him into a person that would do things like this. And we don't often praise raw talk around here. We don't really talk about it much. I also don't use the word incredible too often, but Seth Rollins cut basically a shoot style promo on Raw Talk after Raw went off the air about how the fans turned their backs on him. He was trying to burn it down and trying to be a face and trying to be someone loved, but the fans didn't accept it. And it was a nice back and forth with our truth. I very much suggest you guys go and watch Raw Talk. I'm saying it. Go to the WWE Network, watch. It's like 25 minutes. Watch Raw Talk. Seth Rollins cuts an incredible promo. R-Truth almost breaks Shayna Baszler in half from a comedic standpoint, talking about tartar sauce. And then Mustafa Ali came out on Raw Talk and dropped a statement about the criminal justice system that was so coherent and so smart and so accurate that it just was, for 25 minutes of television, you got Charlie Caruso, we all love Charlie, R-Truth, we all love R-Truth, and then Rollins, Mustafa Ali, and Seth, uh, sorry, Shayna Baszler, all were able to get over in a 25-minute span. It was just great television. So I do suggest you guys go back and watch that. But in terms of uh, Raw... I, I, I did not watch it, but... You uh, need to watch you, it. You laying it out there makes me definitely want to go back it, and it. Uh, shocking. Like, shockingly good television. If, that, if, they can, if they can make Raw Talk that every week, then people will actually tune in and watch it. I was going to say, do you watch Raw Talk every week? I watch it every week because basically what I do is I... Uh, I take notes during Raw and SmackDown for the show so that we have a rundown. And usually based on what's happening in the main event, I'm still kind of putting it together. So therefore, I'm still sitting in front of my TV for about 30 minutes. So I fl flip it over. I kind of listen out of one ear and just, you know, kind of pay it no mind. But sometimes I get perked up by what they're saying. And in this case, I started watching it and I like rewound it for the Rollins segment. I was like, wow, that wait, that sounded really good. Then Baszler's talking. I'm like, wait, that sounded good too. I rewound it again. And the same for Mustafa Ali. So it actually took me like an hour to watch it because I wasn't, I was half listening the entire time. 
but I kept hearing awesomeness. So yeah, yeah I ended up watching the entire thing. I, I usually just haven't because it's a three hour show and then I'm usually got to do something else. But that was, one, that was one thing I was like talking smack was that it was right after a two hour show. So I was still kind of I, I didn't feel kind of overwhelmed with everything. But that's interesting. I may check it out in the future. It, it's totally worth watching Th- this edition. The other ones mostly you can throw away. They're not really that big of a deal. But having Rollins on there, having Mustafa Ali and then Baszler getting the opportunity to talk and also for our truth the breaker, it was really funny. But regardless, uh, so the promo I thought was good from Rollins. They told the story well. Then you get into this match with Aleister Black, and obviously I'm I'm of two minds of it. On one hand, it was a damn good 20-minute match between these two. They had another one of these in May that was also a banger. Uh, and it did hurt, though, to see Rollins get a clean win over Black. But Black did get the opportunity to look good in the match. He hit the Black masks twice, once on Rollins, once on Murphy, Rollins moved out of the ring. So had Rollins still been in the ring and not been right near the ropes, he would have beaten Seth Rollins for a third time, by the way. He's two, he was 2-0 and against Rollins one-on-one entering the match. Um, and then you ultimately did have Rollins win barely with the stomp and, and basically crawling to cover him. He was so exhausted and so beat up. But what really hurt in this is not Aleister Black losing. The guy's 23-2 and two in singles matches in 2020. Losing's okay, okay? But what hurt me is that WWE did not acknowledge that this was his first straight-up singles loss in a match on the main roster. The one with AJ Styles was in a gauntlet. And it's actually his first straight-up singles loss dating back like 16 months or so to the end of his tenure in NXT before he debuted on the main roster. So this guy had a huge winning streak, again, only in singles matches. Um... But they don't mention that. They also don't really put over the fact that Aleister Black would have won and was 2-0 against Seth Rollins going in. All things that would help lighten the load of the loss on Aleister Black's character. Instead, Aleister Black loses and then gets the shit kicked out of him outside the ring with them doing another injury angle with Black's hand when Raw is already short on superstars, let alone guys who are capable main eventers or very high mid-carters. You now have Aleister Black, who's been on this main roster for like 12 months plus, because don't forget he debuted a few months early with Ricochet doing tag team stuff. But this guy's been on the roster. He basically hasn't lost. He's gotten zero title matches, mid-card or WWE championship. And now he just lost as part of a storyline to Seth Rollins. And we don't know if that's going to culminate in Aleister Black getting an opportunity at SummerSlam against Rollins. If it does, I'll shut my mouth because that's a featured moment and that's pretty cool. But this guy's really accomplished nothing despite constantly winning and being like under the arm of Paul Heyman, a guy that he was really pushing and really putting over. I hope they didn't waste all of this in this moment. I hope that Aleister Black doesn't now disappear for a month or two months and then just come back and be himself again. It feels like they took something that should have been a big deal and they kind of just threw it away. Say what you will about the AEW ranking system. I do appreciate that they tell you their record and that matters. And you always get the sense WWE is not paying attention to that at all. At all. They don't care. At all. And yeah. I, I was completely unaware of those Alistair Black numbers until you mentioned that. And yeah, imagine how helpful that would have been to his character, to this match, to whatever you want to do with him. Uh, 
yeah, I, I all I can really say is I'm stunned that that was the case. They really, it was a great match and everything. But again, it's as is so often the case, they are missing the opportunities to promote things to another level and make everything feel more important. It's always about just getting from one day to the next. And uh, yeah, I, 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 I wish they would keep track of numbers like that far more often you could you could you know this is that's the kind of thing i feel like aw wanted to get into when they talked about having analytics and what have you and they, and they, they, quite, they didn't deliver on it no they've gone away from it they've gone away from the rankings a bit sometimes but generally you're always seeing records up there on, on their chirons and and that adds a lot for it's a little thing does not take a lot of work and it, it adds a lot you do see it my problem with aew is that you have mjf sitting at nine and oh and i know it's a storyline i get it but he's sitting there at 9-0, rightfully deserving not only of a TNT championship match, but of an AEW championship match. But he's just not getting them. And there's no on-screen explanation for why he's not. And then you'll have someone join the company and go like one and one and get a title match. Or maybe a right. tag team title match, let's say. Uh, or you'll have like Brian Cage join the company and he deserved the op- – actually, he's a wrong example. Brody Lee joined the company. He'll get one win of significance. He'll beat four jobbers on AEW Dark, and now he's in a title match. So, so they do it too. And wrestling is wrestling. It's they they set their sights very high on trying to do something in a kayfabe environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's just not how. Honestly, it's not even how combat sports works. Period. In many situations, it's very rare the number one contender for a boxing title, or even for the number one ranked light heavyweight, let's say in USC, is the one to get the title match. Oftentimes it's number four and all for different political timing reasons, whatever the case. Um, so AEW did set, they had big goals, but it's tough to live up to them. But for WWE, there's no excuse. They have a WWE stats and info account. Right? Yeah, I know. They, I love that account. They they have people who in, in the writing rooms are, are smart enough to do this. And I give Tom Phillips a lot of praise usually. I don't know if it's a preparation thing on the commentary. I don't know if Vince not wanting them to do it, but... I feel like that's a stat Mauro Ronaldo is going to find and is going to say, knowing that, oh, wow, they're going to have Aleister Black lose. Man, this guy hasn't lost in forever. And by the way, when you when you give those stats, it doesn't just hurt the person who lost. It hurts. The, it helps the person who won. Mm-hmm. When you say that Seth Rollins coming out of beating Rey Mysterio, the legend, now just beat a guy who has not lost clean one-on-one on the main roster in a singles match in a year, you're saying, oh my God, the Monday Night Messiah is on a roll. Can anyone stop Seth Rollins? Now, all of a sudden, there's gravitas to his two wins and, and you're looking at Seth Rollins in a different way. So that's what pisses me off is the booking, fine. I don't mind Aleister Black losing. Make it matter. They didn't make it matter. That's yep. a failure to me. Yep. In fact, zero point zero. Okay, now plenty else went down on Raw and SmackDown. We're going to go through that now that we are leaving the main event. We'll start with SmackDown because the main event on last Friday night's show, Intercontinental Championship match, AJ Styles defending against Matt Riddle. I thought they did a great job with this match. They gave it more than enough time for really two of the best work workers, I mean, in the world. You can put them in the top tier, the top echelon. Uh, they gave him plenty of time to work. Uh there were also relatively limited commercial breaks and interruptions in the match. And we got a clean finish with Styles rolling up Riddle for the win. I think WWE's done well largely, and I wrote this note on Friday. Obviously, Sunday things changed. 
but they had done well largely with their viewers, giving clean finishes to big time TV main event matches on all three brands. We mentioned uh, Sasha Banks and Io Shirai. Oh, there'll be just an interference DQ finish. All these matches we've had recently where we figured there'd be some type of schmaz, we've gotten one, two, threes, or we've gotten submission victories. So I do appreciate that. They do rely a little too much on maybe what you could call happenstance pinfalls, roll-ups, um, people getting caught in certain situations. I'd rather see them be a bit cleaner and more decisive, but obviously in this case, they wanted to protect Riddle. The clean finish here was particularly good because we knew Baron Corbin at some point would be out there at the end of the match. So the fact that his interference was not the reason for Riddle's loss, that was good, particularly because Riddle did lose, but he got AJ Styles' respect with a handshake from a heel at the end of the match. So I think we're now clearly obviously headed towards a Riddle-Corbin feud on television. I can't imagine it stretching to SummerSlam, but you know what? It's only four weeks, so maybe they try to push that match off until SummerSlam, and that's a pretty big featured match for Matt Riddle in his you know, first month or first two months, I guess, on the main roster. Yeah, I mean, they're strapping as much of a rocket as you can to Riddle at this point. Um, I'm curious how long the Corbin feud goes because it feels like every Corbin feud goes on like three <laughs> weeks too long. They uh, go on four months sometimes. I yeah, think. yeah. So I guess we'll kind of see what happens there. I still wish he wasn't doing the King thing anymore. I, I think he can be perfectly fine as a heel without it, but you know, whatever. Um, I, I think, I think there'll be, I think there'll be good matches. I think Corbin is way underrated as a worker. Um, and, and Riddle is obviously great. So I'm excited to see them uh, in a match. I'm just not looking forward to Corbin talking all sarcastically about everything before them. Oh, well, Corbin most certainly is underrated as a worker. And the fact that Riddle has basically started his career uh, on the main roster with the victories and matches, I should say, that he's had to this point. And then he's going to go up against Baron Corbin and presumably beat him. That's a good start. I mean, like you said, mm -hmm. it's as hot as it can get. I want to see a little bit more with the character from Riddle, a little bit more coolness and less dorkiness. Although, yes, I know in many exactly. ways that's just how Riddle is. Um, so they need to kind of fine tune him a little bit. But I do still believe that this guy can be a future world champion and a massive superstar in WWE and so far so good regarding what they've done with him. Also, I also, also, also he's, he sold the hell out of that end of days. Oh yeah. Oh, just, sure. just laying it around his side. Great stuff. By the way, we're about a year uh, away. It was July last year when Becky Lynch took that end of days from Baron Corbin. I forgot if it was end of days or deep six that she took. She took one of them and it was a beastly heel. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Awesome moment. But that was last year's extreme rules. Cause don't forget they had the uh, mixed tag team match. I forgot if she took it during the show or she took it on Raw leading up to it. I think it was on the show. So it was about a year ago. Um, that was awesome. I love watching that clip whenever it pops up on my timeline. I also loved on SmackDown, the open to the show. WWE has clearly been struggling in the ratings uh, and especially struggling keeping viewers tuned in from hour one to two in SmackDown's case or from one to two to three. So I very much enjoyed how this show began with the superstars kind of setting the table for the entire episode, which is why I always preach that all three companies or all both companies and all four brands do. I say it all the time about NXT and AEW. Set the table for the show at the beginning. Tell us why we want to watch and you deserve our eyeballs and our ratings. So AJ Styles opening promo in particular felt something to me that was straight up old school, like out of the 70s. And everyone else that did promos, they all played their parts pretty true to their characters. I just thought 
It was a great start to SmackDown. I don't know that I want it every single week, but when you have an important show that stuff's going to happen on, give me an opening like that, and I am going to be excited about the two hours of action I'm going to see forthcoming. Yeah, they have, the last couple of weeks, they've tried different openings. I know on Raw a few weeks ago, they basically had a narrator kind of lay out the whole thing, and then they stopped doing that. And so I'm I'm curious if they'll... (laughs) Continue. Well, the rate, it didn't help the ratings. So. Right, but I, yeah. what, that one little thing is not going to help ratings one week. Like, you know, you got to give it some time. So like, I noticed that too to open up SmackDown, and I'm curious if they keep doing it or if they try something else or what. But it, it has been notable, noticeable, and it is appreciated. I, I like to know what's going to happen if, if you're expecting me to sit there for that long. Agreed, agreed. Now, moving back to Monday, we did see the expansion uh, and maybe even the real development of the Hurt business, adding Shelton Benjamin to the fold, thought it was a really well done backstage segment with Benjamin winning the 24-7 title off our truth by, you know, distraction from MVP a little bit and actually doing a wrestling move, a super kick, and then doing a regular pinfall for the one, two, three, as opposed to a roll up. That is how the hardcore title, you know, works. You just get hit over the head with a chair and then you'd get pinned. You didn't just get rolled up. So I'm not saying the 24-7 title needs to be the hardcore title. Give it a little bit more gravitas than it's had to this point. Um, so that was a positive. I also thought that Ricochet and Cedric Alexander came out and did maybe their best promo work individually and together to date, setting up the return of Mustafa Ali. Of course, the negative to Mustafa Ali's return is that they completely dropped the hacker gimmick. And that was something people wanted to see and were really curious about on SmackDown. So the fact that they had this thing going, and I get that they had to move him to Raw, but man, maybe you... Do a couple, just do two of them, remind people that this is a gimmick, and then debut Ali. It just feels like a huge missed opportunity to give this guy a gimmick and a character that people were really starting to get behind. Now well, that's go ahead. To, to be fair, do we officially know he was the hacker? I know that's what it, it was never explained in kayfabe that was him, right? So it was never explained in kayfabe, and I don't even think it was reported that it was definitely him, but. Look, the circular symbol on his glove was the symbol. It was so obvious from the start that WWE kind of ruined the surprise a little bit. They did try to change it by have different people voice over the promos and give a couple swerves, but they kind of let the cat out of the bag right at the beginning. But it was fine. I mean, at least they were doing something different with him. Instead, now we just got the same guy that we had before. But that said, he looked great, right? Like we had the match. It was a six-man tag, Ali, Ricochet, and Cedric, by the way cruiserweight dream match, but those three against the Hurt Business. Um, And it was part of Raw starting out with banger matches. I already mentioned it. We got Rollins and Aleister Black off the top. This was your second match. They had Ali do both of the hot tags, put him over with his finisher over the self-proclaimed United States champion and MVP. So now I'm kind of wondering, hey, are they going to give Ali maybe like an interim title opportunity and, and maybe claim that MVP is the interim champion? Because because this was a two-week taping of Raw, Chris, you have to assume if Apollo Crews wasn't there on this Monday, he's not going to be there next Monday, which puts basically a month between Raw appearances and title defenses as well. So I do wonder what that storyline is going to be. But I love the idea of Mustafa Ali coming back, getting the win right over MVP, not over Benjamin, not over Lashley, but over the guy who is embroiled in a title feud right now. I thought they did him a service. Uh, de- re-debuting him that way. So going back to the beginning of this whole thing, um, sure. it was great to see 
the Hurt Business finally take the 24-7 title off of our troop because they've had a number of opportunities that they just straight up didn't do it. All so three the, of them did. Yeah, yeah, so the fact that they did it, they're together, it, 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 it works. Uh, I, I like them as a team. I like MVP having, it's not a stable yet, it's only three people. Only but three. I, I like the idea of MVP having a team that he's that he's the lead of. Uh, so that was good. I, I enjoy... You know, I'm always a stickler on when someone makes a return. I was waiting for it because Ricochet was clearly building up for someone who's about to return. And I was wondering, is he going to say the name or is the music just going to hit? Yes, I didn't like that either. And yeah. he said the name and I was like, yeah. oh, OK. But the music it, it, like there's not a crowd. Obviously, the, the, if you had a full crowd, you want that you want the music to be. The yeah, surprise. you want the music to be the surprise. So it's yes. not it wasn't as costly here but that was just like a little thing where that where i think it would have been like oh it, it kind of there's emotion that comes with that music it, it creates uh, a reaction more than just straight up saying it but i thought ricochet was also perfectly fine on the mic in that segment i, I like i thought the back and forth was pretty good match was great really liked it um i, I i've liked you know how ricochet and, and cedric alexander have been dealing with mvp and lashley for a while now so it was it was pretty good, and I'm I'm uh, I, I guess we'll see what happens with this U.S. title situation and, and Apollo now moving forward. I, I guess so. MVP is now officially U.S. champ. This isn't isn't a, a, a Sasha situation. No, no, they're saying it's um, self proclaimed. They're not saying that he's the champion. Uh, and and Ricochet even kind of spoke to it in his promo, saying, "Hey, you're clearly not the champion, dude." We know who the real champion is, and you know he's just, just not yeah. here right now. I just would so. have liked a clarification on the same episode where we got a clarification for the women. Again, uh, I think I think I think there were a lot of commentary failures uh, on this particular show. Look, maybe I didn't listen closely enough, and maybe they did clarify that. But there was a lot of talking by people who was were not commentary that kind of confused things. Like you had even for the the Ziggler McIntyre thing. Phillips came out and announced that that match was going to be next week in the during the main event of the show because McIntyre didn't make it clear. Hey, you know what? It's going to be next week. I'll tell you. I'll tell you who's uh, what the stipulation is right before the bell. That's all he had to say. But the, so the superstars throughout the show didn't do a great job, and I don't really feel like commentary fixed it. There were so many questions. I mean, that was a question. The women's championship stipulation. It just still isn't clear to me. Maybe what they actually are announcing is not what the stipulation is going to be. Maybe it is what I thought. The stuff with MVP as well. So it, it was weird because the episode, at least according to reports, was rewritten because they wanted to fix the storylines and clarify things, but they didn't do a good job clarifying it. It was a good episode. I mean, look, Raw was good, in my opinion. We got four matches that were bangers. As I said, they were legitimately really good, like three and a half star or better matches all in a single Raw. I was thoroughly entertained by the in-ring action and some of the storytelling was good as well. But man, they just kind of missed the mark on those things, right? Yeah, I mean, like for me, when I judge a good show, I think we talked about it the other day, but for, for me, more the, the in-ring is, is important for me. The storytelling is more important. And yes. um, it's it was a little iffy on, on Monday in terms of some of the stories. And this was an example in terms of who, who exactly is the U.S. champ, how's it work? That said, love the, love the match, love Mustafa Ali coming back. And, and um, that was good to see. WWE got basically got it backwards on Sunday and Monday. And I did think some of the action Sunday was good, but I want great action, incredible matches on my pay-per-views and I want great storytelling on my TV shows. Yes. They, yep. they tried to tell stories during the pay-per-view to make you watch TV. 
And then they realized that they screwed all that up and they ended up giving us great matches on TV, which I'm never going to thumb my nose at. Sure. You give, you give me great matches every show, I'm going to be very a very happy camper. But they gave us four matches on that show. And look, I'm telling you straight up, Kyrie St. Bailey, it could have been, it was good enough to be a pay-per-view match. That tag team match, which we're going to talk about in a second, was good enough to be a pay-per-view match. The six-man tag, that's a really good television match. And I was glad that they did that. Yeah. So, and Aleister Black Rollins, that's a pay-per-view match too. So look, they gave us a kind of pay-per-view from match caliber on Monday night. And you could even say Orton's show, I didn't think it was a good match, but the stakes were important and it was a, it had a stipulation. So, you know, from an in-ring perspective, Raw was very good, but you're right. From a storyline perspective, did they correct a couple things and at least try to fix things? Yes, they did. But they shouldn't have to fix anything. The, the booking and storytelling should be cohesive from Sunday. And I think their problems on Sunday kind of weeded into Monday night. Uh, we'll wrap up talking about, actually, I'm sorry. I was going to say wrap up talking about Raw. We do have another thing after this. But Street Profits uh, beat Andrade and Angel Garza. I thought this was an absolutely fantastic match from start to finish. I thought it was a really good idea that they did not put the titles on the line, considering Garza and Andrade only had one win as a tag team. Really, a legitimate, like, established tag team to this point. The Profits looked incredible. Andrade and Garza worked together the best they had as a team thus far. And dude, Montez Ford showed out like a mofo with an incredible 180-degree rotation frog splash. Officially, I will say it right now, that is the best frog splash I have ever seen. My rankings go RVD number one, Eddie Guerrero number two, Hiroshi Tanahashi number three. That's my one through three. Montez Ford, I said, he was creeping up the list because of the height he got. He got that height and he added a completely unnecessary but still incredible rotation. Holy crap. That's the most action I've had all year. Holy crap. So I said this in the Extreme Rules post-show and it's been a problem for years in WWE when there are high, uh, high spots the camera angle on they the live it. shot is from the bottom and it takes away all the context of how high he's getting. Leave that on the hard cam so we can see just how insanely high he's getting. They'll usually give that to us like on a slow-mo replay. They did. And they did. And they did. But yeah. give that to me live in the moment I so I can fully appreciate it because, man, those, th- those, those frog splashes he always does are insane. Uh, and, and that one... Last night was even better. Um, he he just just absolute star. And yeah, I just want to see it better live in the moment. But yeah, that was one of the best frog splashes you will ever see. And, and, and just every time he's in a match, you got to watch it. I do believe there are people who can physically do what he did, meaning can do a frog splash and turn their body 180 degrees. Ricochet, Cedric Alexander, Mark Quinn in AEW. Sure. Um, Phoenix in AEW prop. I mean, hell, maybe even Pentagon. The guy's way bigger, but he's, you know, athletic. Pac can probably do it. There are a ton of wrestlers who can physically do what he did. They can't do it with the height that he got. No, no. I've just never seen anything like, I don't think I've ever seen a wrestling move like that before. Holy crap. Like uh, the fact that I'm even talking about it today to the, to this level, this guy's a star. He He's a star on the mic. He has charisma. Mm-hmm. He great in the ring. I like the tag team. Eventually, one day, they will break up. I am glad that it hasn't happened already like they did really fast with Enzo and Big Cass, and they've done numerous other times with tag teams. They are legitimately good as a tag team. 
they should be together for multiple years. When yeah, they I, I, eventually break up, though, Montez Ford is a single star in WWE. For, for sure. I, I mean, I don't know if they need to break up either. Like, like you know, I, I think they can be best friends. I think they can be a New Day situation where someone, where one yeah. of them for, for, for a singles type run, or even both of them do, but they're friends. And Montez Ford is obviously a higher ceiling type of guy. But no, he can do it all. And honestly, that's why I liked those Viking Raiders Street Profits segments. Yes, I would have preferred to also see them in the ring, see the Street Profits in the ring, especially. But he's he's got a hell of a personality, and it was fun to see that come out in those various skits. He was hilarious in them. Uh, he can do it all, and and and, and now we're seeing it these last couple of weeks. Uh, just getting straight into the ring. I guess the whole Viking Raiders thing has passed, as we've talked about last week. Uh, but yeah, they were still wearing the shirts though. The the Viking Raiders. They were wearing the uh, the shirts that had the solo cups on them. Yes, yes. But, so that, that just may have been the shirts they had. But um, I, I do, and I do want to say because we criticized commentary and because I criticized them for not giving stats and figures and some things that were pretty important uh, regarding the Rollins Alistair Black. They did say in this segment that the Street Profits were the longest reigning Raw Tag Team Champions, which, by the way, was a shocker to me. But it tells yeah. you how WWE books their tag team divisions that yes. these guys are the longest reigning champs with like. I think that was their uh, with four total defenses because that was not one on Monday night. So they've only defended the, to- the title four times, including back to back on WrestleMania and then the night after WrestleMania. Yet somehow they're the longest reigning champions because they went like two months without defending it or with only defending it one time. So regardless, like the Street Profits, glad they're back on my TV. Um, glad Bianca Belair is back on our TV. We might as well talk about this. Get out of Raw. A couple more things on SmackDown to get to. Ruby Riot defeats Peyton Royce in a singles match. Ruby Riot, folks, won her first televised singles match since February 11th, 2019. Holy crap. Um, she was like two and like 80 over the earth. I think it's four and 80 over the last two years. She's wow. been injured, obviously. She also lost a ton on house shows. I'm including house shows there. Oh, but yeah, yeah, sorry. But but her first televised singles victory since February 2019. Again, something they could have said on TV to say, Riot's been in a rut for this entire time. And look what she finally did. She lost to Billy Kay last week. She finally got a win over Peyton Royce when given the opportunity. I thought Riot looked really good in the match, the best she has since she's come back from injury. And I really liked that Bianca Belair backstage got a chance to shine on the mic and kind of do her thing, separating the two, not necessarily being an entire face because she is better as a heel, but kind of saying, hey, look, I'm not really a face, but I'm going to defend Ruby Riot against your bullying. I just liked everything that happened in that entire segment. Yep, I agree with all that. And also the, the riot kick kind of out of nowhere finisher. Yeah. Uh, big, big fan of that as well. I do want to talk about the moment of bliss segment on SmackDown, even though we've really covered the Bailey Sasha Banks stuff and the title matches. Um, I just wanted to give the segment a little extra credit because I thought Alexa Bliss did a great job navigating the waters. It feels like she's actually now feeling comfortable in that role hosting a segment like that, whereas at the beginning, they kind of just threw her into it. She's always been good on the mic, but I think she finally now understands the dynamics of it in a way that a lot of people who do those segments actually don't. I actually don't think Kevin Owens does a good job with the KO show. Miz does a good job. MVP does a good job. Uh, Owens doesn't really work for me in in that role, but Alexa Bliss did. Nikki Cross also in that segment cut a really good promo. Bailey was again awesome on the mic. 
Uh, and then all, they ultimately had a tag team match between the champions and challengers that was really good action. Another example of how far the women's division has come when a random tag team match delivers to that level of excitement. And I thought they accomplished that on a Friday. I also really enjoyed Nikki Cross's frustrated promo backstage after the match. It felt very real, as did Alexa Bliss consoling her and trying to boost her confidence. Extreme Rules, the, the, the backstage segment as well with the two challengers in the match trying to get kind of amped, sorry, not the challengers, but um, the faces, the women faces, all trying to really get amped up and Nikki trying to get a little extra boost from um, Alexa Bliss before her match. I just appreciated what they were doing. They're showing their friendship. Nikki Cross, in my opinion, got over very much over the last few days. She didn't win the title, but now she's more believable as a potential title holder in the future than she ever was before. Yep, yep, totally. I, I, I thought, I think I, I may have mentioned that on uh, Sunday, but but they had that bit about where, you know, uh, they were saying to each other, you know, this isn't, you know, it's not about losing this one. It's about winning the big one, you know, get, once we get to that match. So, yeah, they, they're good together. Uh, Nikki Cross has been great. I'm glad they, this friendship stuff works. I think having two people kind of host a show, you know, you get the two of them back and forth before you get into the show also kind of helps the format of a of an of yet another WWE talk show. It does. And between that and, you know, the match later in the show, we'll talk about it in two seconds. But the Ruby Riot stuff with Peyton Royce showing Bianca Belair using um, Shayna Baszler, it feels like they're finally like utilizing the entire women's division again, where for a couple weeks, I guess, maybe about a month, it kind of felt like the only thing we were seeing were Sasha Banks, Bailey, whoever they were challenging and the main event women on both shows. Now yes. it feels like they're recognizing that there is an entire women's division. They need to make tag teams. They need to create storylines and, and get these people on TV. And I thought they did a really good job of it. Maybe with the, with the exception of the final part here, Lacey Evans defeating Naomi. As we discussed last week, it was clear from the start that the crap, crap karaoke storyline uh, was intended to get Lacey back into the spotlight as a heel. Meanwhile, in this match, Naomi was clearly the star in every possible way, yet she's the one doing the job. And the result of this match was a hashtag trending. Um, I forgot exactly what it was off the top of my head. It, it, was, it, was, it was Naomi deserves better. Naomi deserves better, right. And, you know, we can talk about the match if you want, but I kind of wanted to wrap up the show on this because... Look, in terms of the hashtag, I agree and I don't agree. So, I mean, she deserves better. Yes, I do agree with the actual hashtag. I think people misunderstand that Naomi's had a pretty good WWE career. She debuted as a freaking Funkadactyl and turned it into a starring singles run who and, and a singles performer who sells a lot of merchandise, who is extremely popular uh, from a representation standpoint, I think does a really good job in that regard and is a two-time WWE Women's Champion. If you compare her to Natalia, Natalia in her career, Natalia is seven years older and been wrestling for way longer than Naomi. Natalia is a two-time WWE Women's Champion, and one of those was the Divas title. So do I want to see Naomi featured more? Absolutely. Do I want to see Naomi get more victories and more title opportunities? Absolutely. Do I think that WWE maybe doesn't see the potential in her that many others, including her fans, do? Absolutely. Do I think Naomi's being treated crappy? No, I don't. I don't think she's being treated poorly in WWE. I think she's had more opportunities and more spotlight chances than a lot of other women 
including a Dana Brooke, including a Natalia, uh, including some others. But yes, I do think that Naomi should be someone who is in the mix to be champion frequently. I do think that a tag team with a Carmella or a Bianca Belair, um, maybe a, a Liv Morgan or something like that. I do think that could work. And I do think she would be great in a hot tag tag team t- scenario because she's incredibly athletic. But I don't think that WWE is doing her a huge disservice by any means. You know, what I'll say is that after the Royal Rumble this year, when I think it was Naomi yeah. was, had, had a, had, I think had an afro in her mm-hmm. attire. She got she a, awesome. She, she got awesome. a, she got a lot of mainstream attention. Uh, I saw it on my Twitter timeline from a lot of people who do not follow wrestling, saying, "Whoa, who is this woman?" And and I think that was a real missed opportunity there uh, to not do something more with her. And we're going on six months since that happened. Now I I think that's probably part of the frustration. Um, you know, they, they see a, a, a strong, talented, uh, black woman who, who, you know, can do pretty much everything you want, to want them to do. And it's natural to want her to do more because we've seen, seen that she can do everything, not to mention the whole, you know, the dynamics of the Lacey Evans character and everything that goes along with that as a whole other conversation. But, you know, as that hashtag came up and I saw that, I thought back to the Royal Rumble, I thought back to a lot of. Uh, women who don't watch wrestling taking notice of Naomi. And I thought there was a real opportunity to uh, do something uh, for her that would help her, that would help wrestling, that would help the company. And they kind of just didn't do anything with it. I think that is the better point, that they did not capitalize on a huge opportunity with her. You have to remember, it wasn't just that she had an afro. She came out with like the helmet, if, if memory serves, so you didn't know what you were going to get. Mm-hmm. You said, oh, Naomi's wearing a helmet and then she'll take it off and be Naomi, right? But then you saw it and you're like, wow, that's a look that I just have not seen in WWE. Maybe them allowing or maybe presenting a black woman in that way. So yes, in that moment and in those circumstances on the road to WrestleMania, yeah, it would have been great if they capitalized on that. The problem was they had plans. They had women's championship plans on both brands. They had Shayna Baszler plans on Raw. Uh, who the hell did Bailey face? Uh, Lacey, Ev- uh, Lacey Evans. And was that the, the triple threat? The, was uh, that maybe the, was it was that the woman? Was that the Lacey and Sasha? Yeah, maybe. I don't even got it. That's forget. That's how forgettable that was. I, I think. That, I think that's I'm going to correct myself. I'm going to correct myself. They had plans on the Raw side. Whatever the SmackDown side was, and maybe you can look it up while I'm yammering here. It was so forgettable that you know what? You're right. They should have capitalized on that, put Lisa, uh, put Naomi in that position. And even if she didn't win the title, given her a WrestleMania match and used that momentum. The problem was just a couple of years ago in Orlando, she did have a WrestleMania match and she won the title in her hometown. So, you know. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. It was Bailey over Lacey, Naomi, Sasha and Tamina, the five way. So she was in the match. OK, but it was a five way as opposed to being maybe a triple threat where she gets more feature time in that in that scenario and maybe doesn't beat Bailey, but maybe then coming out of it the next month ends up being the challenger and beats her, something like that. I agree. They didn't capitalize on it. I just, look, if WWE was having issues with putting over minority performers, I would lend more credence to there being an issue here. But when you look at WWE's champions right now, uh, across the three main brands, I think there's only two who are who are white, uh, candidly. 
And I think only one of them is is American. That's <laughs> because Drew, Drew McIntyre is not. So I don't think there's a uh, injustice in the way that Naomi is being booked. But I do think from a wrestler perspective, she deserves better. She deserves more opportunities, more spotlights. And I think the women's tag team titles are really the opportunity that she deserves presently. And then again in the future, yeah, she should be a, she should win the world championship another time or two, probably before her career is out. But right now, I think she does deserve that mid-card, the television opportunity. And I'm just afraid, unfortunately, that it's going to be Lacey Evans who is the ultimate winner of this feud. If it ends up being Naomi and Naomi ends up taking the title off Bailey, then I'm, I'm more okay with that. Yeah, I, I think just basically Naomi kind of provides something that nobody else really in the division does. Uh, it'd, be does. Nice, it'd, it'd be nice to see more of her uh, spotlighted. Yep. She does, especially on the SmackDown side where the women's division is not as entertaining as it is on the Raw side, I guess. that That is fair to say. Sure. Uh, but that was us breaking down everything from the fallout of Extreme Rules to what else happened on Raw and the leftovers from SmackDown. But this show is not over. Coming up right now, I got the opportunity to sit down with NXT superstar Karrion Cross ahead of his big match coming up Wednesday night against Dominic Dijakovic, airing at 8 p.m. Eastern on the USA Network. Uh, keep it tuned for my interview with Karrion Cross, and we will be back on the other side to close this thing out. Excited to welcome NXT superstar Karrion Cross to the show for the very first time. You can catch him in a featured match against Dominic Dijakovic on NXT this Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern on USA Network. Karrion, your start in NXT has been something special, and it begins largely with the way you are portrayed on screen, the vignettes that tease your debut, the unique entrance, the brooding silence in which you and Scarlett are operating right now. From a conceptual standpoint, how did you go about creating and developer, developing a character like this? Was there any particular type of inspiration? How did this all come to pass for you? Thank you very much for that. Uh, I think the inspiration for the character presentation has been something that's kind of taken on a life of its own. And uh, it's something that has kind of transpired and manifested over many, many years, ranging from different films, different novels, um, just different forms of entertainment and then my own interests as well. Um, it's been well documented that I'm a very big fan of retro horror and theater and stuff like that. And I mm -hmm. thought that now would be the best time to kind of connect the dots on all of those things to provide a fresh presentation on a newer version, a more expanded version of things people have seen me do prior. I know you've said previously that there's a lot of people who have had their hands in helping this come to fruition, you know, technical people, obviously whoever made the entrance music, et cetera. But this feels to me like the type of character that if Triple H was in his prime right now, he would be wanting to do this exact character, almost like it's something he would book for himself. Has that been the case? Has he played a large role in helping this develop? He absolutely has. Um, but I have to say, uh, he really doesn't get... Um, well, I'll put it like this. He's someone who is literally on the floor working with everyone nonstop. Mm -hmm. He has an inhuman amount of energy to creatively be there for everyone um, and supporting all of the ideas and helping every single person find the best version of themselves. I've been fortunate enough to be able to work next to him and be able to bring this stuff to life. Um, so, yes, he's he's been there and, and he's uh, he's been super supportive of 
everything I'm doing, Scarlett's doing, what everyone's doing, really. So right. I hope one day people get to see that side of him. I really do. It's pretty nuts. I um, We'll get off the character talk in a moment, but I was also curious about Scarlett's kind of role at this time and how you guys actually see her from your conceptual standpoint. She's obviously extremely versatile. Uh, to me, she comes across as like a harbinger of doom more than anything else, almost as if she sets the stage kind of like for the destruction that you're about to unleash. Is that kind of how you guys think about it? Or when you're conceptualizing it, what is her actual role the way you see it? I mean, you, you just nailed it. That's exactly what it is. It's, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, it's basically, yeah, it, it, that's very much what it is. We're, that's exactly what we were trying to convey. It's, um, she's, you know, basically the angel of doom. This is the thing that people see before the end is coming. Um, and it all kind of ties in, uh, from verbiage to energy to the violence that follows. For sure. Now, a lot of people talk about debuting, uh, in a company, someone changes brands, with a proverbial rocket strapped to them, right? Getting huge opportunities right out of the gate to become a star. That has definitely been the case for you to this point. Started out from day one, really on an elite type of level, not just with the presentation, but the win over Tommaso Ciampa, obviously at NXT TakeOver. How frustrated were you at the start of your career by the booking that you had in Impact, maybe other places as well? And is that something that Triple H kind of stressed to you as part of his pitch to join WWE and NXT? Well, to answer honestly, I have always wanted to be here. Um, mm-hmm. And getting here is a very difficult process because only the best of the best get here. And you got to be honest with yourself as you're learning and developing as a professional wrestler, as a sports entertainer. Am I really the best version of myself right now? Is what I'm doing, what I'm able to do right now in this present moment, good enough to be there? And it's a question that you need to be able to answer to yourself, but it's also a question that someone else has to answer and you have to be ready and willing to accept the criticism um, and the points of improvement to be here. So, you know, the whole journey to getting here was to find what you were seeing right now on television. So I don't know if that necessarily answers your question directly, but um, that's how I would answer it. No, I think, I think that's pretty fair. I mean, basically what I was kind of curious about is when triple H was maybe pitching you, let's say to join WWE over Some of the other options that you clearly had out there, you know, I don't know how close you were maybe going to go to maybe AEW or Ring of Honor or anywhere else, but I was wondering if part of his pitch was like, hey, you know, when we bring you in, our goal is to debut you at the top of the card. We want to have you as strong as you possibly can be from the very start, because look, the truth is free agents come into companies all the time. Not everyone starts out like you are right now. Sure. Well, when him and I spoke um, to... uh peel back the curtain a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really, I mean, I don't know how other, I don't know how other pro wrestlers or sports entertainers talk or negotiate. I have no idea. Um, but that's not necessarily how I communicate. And to be honest with you, like from a completely non-pretentious standpoint, I don't even think like that. Um, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't matter where you're booked on the show um, or how they're going to present you as much as it is more important that you are over with the fans. I think that a lot of professionals get wrapped up way too much in what they think they should be doing versus what fans want to see them doing. And um, I've seen it before. Um, I, I haven't seen it here, but I've seen it before where the fan in the pro wrestler dies. Mm-hmm. And that's a dangerous thing when that happens. You can't let the fan in you die. I mean, the professional has to come first because this is what we do. This is 
this is our love, our passion, this is our craft. But when the fan in you is gone, you lose that sort of uh, perspective of how they see you. You know, you can see yourself however you want. You can be booked whoever you want. You can be anywhere you want on the show. But if they're not connecting with what you're doing and you don't know what they want to see and you're not able to give that, you're no good to anybody. So in the conversations that Hunter and I had in the beginning, none of that type of stuff really came up or anything like that. It was more discussing what I would like to do and if he thought that would be you know, helpful, I guess. If, it, sure. if this is a good, healthy contribution of what they're doing, you know, that is more important to me that I'm actually doing something for the company, for this program, for the fans. And I think that everyone should always come from their place. And again, I don't know how people negotiate, but that's where I came from. I, I come from a good place. If, if people aren't enjoying what you're doing, it doesn't matter. No, know, no, that, that in my makes, opinion. no, that makes total sense. Uh, before we move off this topic, were you ever actually close to going anywhere else's were, I know you said this was always your focus, always where you wanted to be, but you know, did, was it a situation where, Hey, you may have been going somewhere and then Paul kind of came in and said, Hey, look, actually, why don't we do this and just get you in here? Or was this really the, just straight up the goal from the very beginning? Well, I was always open to working anywhere, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason being is you know, the longer you stay in this business, the better you get. In my opinion. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're, if you're open to improving, um, the better you are, the best version of yourself is going to be what you want people to see when you get here. So everywhere else I've ever worked, I was there. I was hundred percent committed. I gave my best. Um, in the back of my mind though, I was really trying to find the WWE version of myself privately amongst all the other goals that I had. Um, I didn't know where I was going to wind up before I got here, but in my heart, I always knew I was going to be here because this is where I wanted to be. I just didn't know when. You know, and a lot of uh, it's not unusual for a lot of the people in my business. Uh, so, no, that makes sense. You you talked about the, you know, the fan in you in in a professional wrestler, but it's also when you're debuting, especially with a new company, a lot of the fan response really helps you determine how well you're, for lack of a better term, getting over, and how well things are actually working out. With you debuting kind of in front of nobody, uh, at least at the beginning. Now there's some fans in the performance center. How were you able to gauge whether this was working beyond in your mind, maybe in Scarlett's mind, and maybe in Paul's mind? Maybe was it the coworkers, other wrestlers that came up to you? Hey, man, that was really awesome. Um, other people in the facility, social media. How have you really been able to determine that beyond your, out of your own mind, this character is working? I think based on uh, social media reaction. I think based on coworker reaction. And you have to have a fine-tuned internal compass to know what feels good. Mm -hmm. And that's something that takes time to develop. Um, people want <laughs> to feel really good about everything that they do, just in general in life. Um, but you can't allow that to take over the reality of the situation. And the reality of the situation when we were just beginning to do this was that this, was, this felt good. This felt really good. And uh, everyone we spoke to um, gave us really excellent feedback. And we decided to continue going in that direction. The fan support was tremendous. And we just felt based on everything, kind of all the boxes being checked off, so to speak, it, it felt good. So sure. we stayed the course. 
Sure, no, that makes sense. One of the things that I know set you apart at, in your prior stops was your ability on the mic, but that's not really something we've seen much of to this point in NXT, obviously because of the character. Is the plan to kind of stay strong and silent and, and kind of foreboding, or do you think that promos will maybe be an evolution of the character, maybe whether it's after you win a title or as things start to develop for you? Is it another level to this character that you're maybe excited to show off? Oh, yes. <laughs> there are many levels that I am very interested in showcasing, but there will be a time and a place for that. Right. Um, and I put my faith in the process of the people in charge as to when they feel that will be best suited for. And so far, um, everything has been excellent. You know, I, as I said before, we're trying to improve. We're trying to become the best version of ourselves for the people that are watching. Um, one of the best things about WWE is you have the best all over the world, all working under one roof. So much time, so much experience. We have people here that worked in the territory days. Territory days are gone. Right. Like there's a lot of information, a lot of things you can learn from these people, things that would just never occur to you. And I think that's been probably one of the coolest parts for me personally is how much you learn. Um, if not on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, every time you go to work, you learn something new and it makes you that much better. And you can see it online when uh, people see these things that you're doing um, that were suggested or an idea that was provided or, you know, it's, it's awesome. I know you're saying as a whole, that's the case. Is there anyone back there in particular that has been especially helpful uh, in these first few months of your career in WWE? Yes. Do you want to say who that is? <laughs> no. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> nope. Okay. That's fair. That's fine with me. Um, so speaking of long-term Scarlett, uh, long-term for her, is she, Mostly, at least as of now, is the plan to work with you in this role or is getting back in the ring something she eventually wants to do again? Because obviously in WWE and NXT, both separately and together, we're talking about, you know, probably the greatest women's wrestling roster, not just in the world, but maybe all time in, in a single place. Um, you know, what are what are the plans or maybe thoughts long term for her? She's absolutely loving what she is doing. Um, she has so much uh, control uh, creatively over the presentation within the things that are provided to her uh, mm -hmm. as a framework narrative wise. Um, we are very much focused on what the present task at hand is. And just her and I just in general, we don't really overly concern ourselves over what the potential hypotheticals may be. Um, she's more than ready to get in the ring whenever they want, but you know, why kind of change directions on something when it's working so well? You know what I mean? Oh, she's absolutely. really enjoying this. Uh, yeah, she's really enjoying this whole process of it. And I'm sure that whole scenario is totally inevitable and uh, it will be awesome. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, there's no rush in, in changing anything that's going on now. It's just some people when you do wrestle for years upon years and then you stop, sometimes you get that itch back. That's kind of all I was really saying now. Oh, no, totally, yeah. totally. Now, speaking of wrestling, Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern on the USA Network, we have NXT. We have you going against Dominic Dijakovic. And when you talk about the ability to showcase skill, oftentimes you can do it against guys smaller than you, bigger than you, different sizes and shapes than you. But Dijakovic and you in a head-to-head -head match, to me, I think will be a great opportunity 
for you to truly showcase, hopefully in an extended match, or maybe not for the character, maybe maybe you only want it to be 30 seconds, but uh, uh, the ability to showcase your true in-ring skill. Do you feel like this is the type of guy that gives you that opportunity, and how excited are you for that type of match? I am very excited for people to see this match because uh, Dijakovic is very unique in a lot of ways, specifically how tall he is, you know, his height, weight, and size, and what he's able to do at that height, weight, and size. Right. Off the top of my head, there's nobody in the industry that does what he does at his size. He has a striker's uh, hybrid Lucha Libre style, and it completely clashes with mine in the best way possible. I think people are going to see that, and uh, I've never had a match styles clash like this before, so I'm excited for people to see it. I think they're going to be... I know I've read the response people are expecting a a good one, but I think we're going to surpass what they're expecting to see. I'm very excited for that. Yeah, there's no question you two both being as unique as you are, head-to-head match. If you talk to people about, hey, what matches you want to see in NXT, you know, as soon as possible, this is certainly on that list. I will get you out of here on this question. I was doing some research and saw you made a living before your time uh, in wrestling as a private executive bodyguard. You must have a wild story or two. Is there anything that you care to share? Anyone exceptionally famous that you worked with or anything interesting that happened? Give me something here. Can you caught me off guard? Um, <laughs> well, I'll say this. A lot of the contracts that I took, there mm-hmm. was, uh, there was other things associated with the contracts where I wasn't really allowed to discuss anything I saw Fair <laughs> or heard. But, um, uh, I could tell you it was, um, a very, very eye-opening experience to work with uh, people in different avenues of business. Um, I learned a lot about the world. Sure. Um, I learned a lot about people, and I learned a lot about myself uh, taking on those jobs. Some of them were uh, they were pretty crazy, but some of them were not, and they were experiences um, that I had being able to talk to people who were just on a completely different life path from a different country, from a different part of the world, um, you know, one of the contracts I took, I was in my early twenties. Um, and you know, I'm sitting there with a guy who's, uh, from the middle East, who's, you know, in his late sixties, he's from a totally different walk of life and just being able to sit with him and on commute and, and learn about where he came from and learn about how he got into the position that he was in and, and traveling and all the things he was involved with. It was really cool, very eye-opening. And uh, I kind of felt like that work really put me in touch uh, with, I don't know, like a greater sense of reality. And it made me interested in traveling. Um, I I became sort of a traveling type person, whereas before I was naturally a homebody. I I traveled all over the world uh, because of that work. And uh, it was awesome. It was a great, great, great experience in time. So... I, I will let you get away with that, but that was a good answer either way, even if I didn't get a specific wild story, but that's totally cool. Um, you, want me to tell the, you want me to tell the story about the time I threw the guy through the window. That's the story. That's exactly what I want. That's what I want to hear where you, where there was a fire, you had to rush a guy out, you threw someone through a window. I don't know, but no, uh, we'll save that maybe for another time. I'll give you some time to think about it for next time. Uh, absolutely th- thrilled that you joined us today. Thank you, Karrion Cross. You can catch him against Dominic Dijakovic Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern on USA Network. Best of luck, obviously, in that match. You're running NXT and the rest of your career, but I hope I speak to you again before it's out. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you so much. 
All right. Thanks to Karrion Cross for joining us again. Tune into NXT at 8 p.m. Eastern this Wednesday on the USA Network. Chris, lot of stuff went down on today's show. A long one again. We did keep our WWE talk to a minimum for a post-pay-per-view episode, but there is plenty to come in the Getting Over universe. If you have not listened to it already, there's an interview with Apollo Crews that came out last Friday that deserves your attention. We will also be back on Thursday to break down everything that happens on NXT and AEW Dynamite. Don't forget, because I did not mention it at the start of the show, to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. You can follow me at Silverstein Adam, and you can follow Chris at Chris Vanini, and head on over to Apple Podcasts to give us that five-star rating and review that you know we deserve. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being a mark for Chris. Go back to being a mark for your favorite wrestling podcast, Getting Over. But that's it for today's show. Chris has said goodbye. The Silver King saying goodbye right now. There's only one more person we need to hear from. Elizabeth, come on. Whoa. We got something going that's oh, really big. Look in the video scope right now and tell them about Macho Madness. Tell them how strong it is and tell them where we're going. Yeah, we into the twilight zone. Yeah, and how Hogan's got no chance, does he? No. Does anybody have a chance against the Macho Man right now? Am I the greatest wrestler, past, present, and future that ever lived? Why? Okay, now say goodbye. Say goodbye. Okay, get out of here. Well, that's right a little now. rough, Randy. Oh, yeah, but it is rough. Yeah, wrestling is a rough sport. And I am the roughest one in the sport. I am the number one wrestler in the world today. Tell Hulk Hogan that. I will. I thank you, Randy Savvy. See you all Thursday. Bye for now. <laughs>